0: Major funding for Telehell is provided by Dave's Archives. At Dave's Archives, he personally transfers, archives, and preserves classic commercials from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and shares them with you. Don't forget about his Friday night live stream on well, guess when? Go to davesarchives.com by Retro Cirque on YouTube. RetroCirc has a whole new look and a new attitude as they bring retro commercials like never before. Always look for Retro Cirque with a Q at the end. Bring your team with their team with Retro Cirque, a Broadcast Plaza server partner. And by the very generous benefactors who grace us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash telehealth podcast, including Rhonda Farrell, Rick Colacki Jr., Chris Michaud, Man Mojack, Meredith Morrissey, Justin Moses, Rabbis, Spare Parts, and Neil Weinstein. Thank you. It's comforting to know that even in the face of fear, famine, pestilence, societal changes, and the overall sense of being angry at things, whether the reasons are warranted or not, the Academy Awards can still take place. Continuing a nearly century-long tradition of honoring Hollywood's best, brightest, and, in some cases, easily streamable for a low, low price of $9.99 a month, if you're lucky, the Oscars still manages to be one of the most viewed broadcasts around the world every year in spite of the show's declining audience and relevance. And while some years the show would go off mostly without a hitch, More often than not, there's going to be that one moment of any given ceremony that people will be talking about for years to come. Whether the moment is one of those hallmarks that makes for great television, My
1: mom is 84 years old, and she's at home watching.
2: Mom, I just want an Oscar!
0: Or, as we're about to find out, moments where you feel so bad for the people who make them that It's you, the viewer, who wants to be the one who crawls into a hole and dies.
1: Used to work a lot for Walt Disney, starring in cartoons every night and day.
3: But she said goodbye to grumpy and sleepy, left the dwarves behind, came to town to stay. 1989
0: Snow White Incident, (coughs) episode 12, has gone down in history as the Oscar punchline to win them all. And the Oscars Stars of Tomorrow piece that happened the same year, (coughs) Episode 42, pretty much became a punchline both by association and on its own merits.
3: I have studied extensively. I studied with Stella. I studied with Strasbourg. I study Stanislavski. I am a
1: serious actor. I was on Dynasty!
0: But why should those moments take all the scorn when there were a number of Oscar moments that are equal or even greater in their stupidity? We'll find out as we count down the top eight other dumbest moments in Oscar history today.
4: And now, love it or shove it. This is Telehelm.
0: Alright, here's our qualifications. Just so we're clear here, this is a list of explicitly dumb moments in an Oscar telecast. This does not mean that all of the moments on this list will be good or bad because good, bad, and dumb do not necessarily have to be synonymous with each other. These are really moments when the audience scratches their heads so hard that their scalp winds up peeling off. The kind of moments where one wonders, what were you thinking, if at all? In other words, pure stupidity. And as such, this means that we will not be including any speeches by winners or presenters where anybody gets to make a political or societal statement of some kind. Granted, that's what many award speeches have devolved into lately, but as we've said in the past, we're not a political podcast. We
2: live in a time where we have fictitious election results that elects a fictitious president.
0: So nothing pertaining to things like Michael Moore's speech in 2003, Bob Hope freaking out over an anti-Vietnam documentary in 1975, or even Sasheen Littlefeather accepting an award on Marlon Brando's behalf in 1973. And besides, she suffered just enough ridicule for that moment that the Academy eventually apologized to her before her passing just last year. And in keeping with our own bylaws, not only will the moments in question have to be easy to obtain, but we also have to disqualify things that are still very fresh in people's minds within the past three years. So, unfortunately, if you're expecting me to be the last creature on Earth, or in the underworld, to talk about the fresh slap of Bel-Air, Will
3: Smith just smacked the shit out of me!
0: I'm gonna have to keep his name out my fucking mouth. At the same time, we're also not going to mention the debacle of the 2021 telecast because even though the ceremony itself had experienced a number of problems both on camera, off camera, and with circumstances beyond anybody's control, the focus was then shifted to trying to frame a recently deceased celebrity as not only a possible winner, but would also try to give the show a Hollywood ending, only for that ending to be
3: more of a downer. Chadwick Boseman, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. <laughs> And the Academy Award for Actor goes
2: to, Anthony Hopkins, the father.
0: Like, seriously, whenever people ask about our death exploitation rule, I point to Chadwick Boseman's post-mortem snub as a prime example, so, unfortunately, no to this moment as well. Finally, Just to make sure we hit our nine circles quota for the week, the Oscars represent Hollywood excess at both its finest and its worst, honoring famous people for their achievements for sure. But at the same time, it's also a major TV event designed to draw in big ratings and the advertising dollars that go with it, marking a one-two punch for gluttony and greed. And a lot of these moments try to do their very best to shake up what's otherwise a pretty status quo showbiz event to the point that even the slightest thing wrong would be considered heresy to the Hollywood elite, and also resulting in a wrathful viewing audience depending on the severity of the moment in question. Okay, minimum requirement done for the week. Now let's take a look at some star fuckery. Number 8 I'm gonna begin with something personal. The first ever Oscar ceremony I saw on TV was the one that aired in 1995. Not necessarily because I was interested in the movies that were up for awards that year, but because of the guy they selected to host that year's show. I was about 10 years old when I was first exposed to the world of David Letterman. A few months earlier, they put on a primetime special on CBS showing some best of bits from the first year of The Late Show. For whatever reason, I liked what I saw and I wanted to watch more Dave, even begging my folks to stay up past 1130 on Friday nights more than a few times. This, of course, was long before they showed me how to set the timer for a VCR, but I digress. Point is, I became a Letterman fan at a young age, even though kids my age were still watching cartoons and maybe even the Power Rangers. So when I heard that Letterman was going to be hosting that year's Oscars, I was hyped. This was my chance to see more of Dave at an hour that I'm awake. I wish I could tell 10-year-old me to keep my expectations down a couple notches, though. Ladies
2: and gentlemen, before we go any farther, the uh, people that I work for uh, back in New York City have asked me to make the following announcement. CBS has signed off for the evening. And I want to
0: go on record. This entry has nothing to do with how Letterman was as an MC overall. Truth be told, I think those who reviewed him harshly back then had the mentality of clownfish not named Nemo or Marlin. Letterman and his writers were perfectly fine to those who were already fans of his. And audiences for late-night TV versus audiences for wide-ranging primetime events would be like comparing apples and Volkswagens. Simply put, you can't please everybody all the time. But remember, this is a list of dumb Oscar moments, so I still have to call it like I see it. This first moment on the list, to this day, has the letters WTF
2: written all over them. I've been dying to do something all day, and I think maybe we can take care of this... Oprah? Uma? Uma? Oprah? I feel much better. And for
0: most of those fish-brained critics, that moment was all they could talk about, trying to turn Uma Thurman and Oprah Winfrey's first names into a running gag for the evening. Even as a 10-year-old who just discovered Dave for the first time, I kinda have to side with the critics here.
2: Oprah, Uma, (laughs) Uma, Oprah. It's going to be one of those things I won't be able to stop doing all night long. (laughs) Uma, Oprah! (laughs) And then maybe get Oprah and Uma to work in the film. (laughs) Quincy, Sigourney. (laughs) Have you kids met Keanu? Like, was this supposed
0: to build up towards something? I mean, any joke of any kind in recorded history is always composed of a setup and a punchline. Very rarely do non-sequiturs by themselves elicit a laugh. It'd be like if I threw in the word dick-sissle three times at random for the rest of this episode. Nevertheless, Uma Oprah cast so much of a shadow on that year's ceremony and even years after it was broadcast, that it all but made any actual comedy in the rest of the show seem irrelevant. And that's too bad, because there were a lot of solid bits on that show. Everything from Dave talking movies with cab drivers. The circle of life. Are you talking to me? The circle of life. Are you
2: talking to me? You talking to me, Hakuna Matata? You talking to me, Hakuna Matata? To some of his showbiz
0: friends trying to recreate Dave's big moment in Cabin Boy. Would you like to buy a monkey?
1: Would you like to buy a monkey?
0: Would you like to buy a monkey? Mm -hmm. monkey. And yes, they even had a top ten list.
2: Tonight's top ten list category, Top Ten Signs, The Movie You're Watching Will Not Win an Academy Award. Number six, it's a beautifully made documentary about two kids in the inner city trying to realize their dream of playing professional basketball.
0: And yet, Uma Oprah was all anybody could talk about. Which also brings us to why we have this moment at the bottom of the list. The simple fact that if you can't laugh at yourself once in a while, then what's the point of living? As we found out two years later.
2: Hey, Billy, how you doing? <laughs> Here's what you gotta do. Introduce Uma the Oprah. Oh no. <laughs> Oprah. To Uma, and then Uma, to Oprah, and then introduce Oprah to Uma, and then do it again! Uma, Oprah, Oprah, Uma, keep doing it now! No.
0: I put this next moment relatively low on the list because, even though the moment itself was one of the first times in many years that people actually used the Oscars as a genuine piece of water cooler conversation, it's also a reminder that we're only human, and that we all make mistakes.
4: It's a privilege for us to present the final award of the evening. The films we honor tonight inspired us, touched our emotions, gave us hope and joy. ...and may even have changed our thinking."
0: Still, though, the circumstances that had to take place for the Moonlight, La La Land envelope mix-up of 2017... ...had to be pretty dubious ones in order to reach that point. But still, it was a human error that could have happened to anybody... ...albeit with a billion people around the world watching. To recap... Faye Dunaway and Warren Beatty were on hand to present that year's best picture in light of the 50th anniversary of their breakthrough appearances in Bonnie and Clyde. All was going well until Beatty looked like a deer in the headlights for some reason. At which point, Dunaway took the envelope from Beatty and simply stated,
4: La La Land.
0: And the people from the movie came up on stage and actually started saying their thank yous. Until one of the movie's producers casually, calmly, and people forget this part, graciously mentions this. We lost, by the way, but, you know. <laughs>
2: guys, I'm sorry. No, this, there's a mistake.
0: Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture.
2: Moonlight won. This is not a joke. This is not a joke, I'm afraid they read the wrong thing.
0: So, naturally, confusion sets in. Warren Beatty still looks confused as another one of La La Land's producers rips the correct envelope from Beatty's hands and sets things right. Moonlight. (laughs) Best picture. After all was said and done, everybody, including host Jimmy Kimmel, was trying to understand what the here
2: just happened. Warren, what did you do? (laughs) I want to tell you what happened. I opened the envelope, and it said, Emma Stone, La La Land. That's why I took such a long look at Faye and at you. I wasn't trying to be funny.
4: <laughs> well, you were funny. That Thank you really very funny. much. Thank yeah. you very much.
2: Wow, this is... This um... is Moonlight, the best picture.
4: Yeah. Okay.
0: This resulted in a number of changes in the following year's ceremony. Everything from more legible writing on the envelopes, to more diligent employees of Coopers handing them out. But no matter what this resulted in, at least we can all agree that it was simply a case of human error. One that was eventually rectified when Beatty and Dunaway came back the following year to set things right.
4: It's so nice seeing you again. Okay. As they say, Presenting is lovelier the second time around.
1: Number six.
0: Unlike the La La Land incident, where it seems to be a case of human error gone awry, this moment should not have happened simply for the fact that even the most basically educated human being should be able to read things properly off a teleprompter. Almost 40 years after escaping the plastic bubble, John Travolta has long since become a man whose career and personal life has seen a fair share of ups and downs, yet still manages to remain a central figure in pop culture history, up to and including this now infamous 2014 introduction of a person who he allegedly knows. Here to perform the Oscar-nominated, gorgeously empowering
2: song, Let It Go, from the Oscar-winning animated movie, Frozen, please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Adele Dazeem.
0: Of course, we know now that the person he was trying to introduce was actually Broadway and Disney royalty, Adina Menzel. To hear Travolta do it, however, would require a subscription to Hooked on Phonics.
2: They said, oh, by the way, we've changed the, uh, Idina's name to a phonetic spelling. I went, but bu- what, what, what do you mean? Go! So I go out there, and I get to her thing, and I thought, hmm? <laughs> In my mind, I'm going, what? What, what is that name? <laughs> I don't know that name. <laughs> and it was just phonetic spelling, but I, wasn't, I didn't rehearse it that way. But as soon as that
0: introduction took place, social media may as well have turned into a pit of hungry lions waiting to eat the rejects at the Colosseum. People were genuinely curious if Travolta either had a stroke or the spirit of Elron Hubbard tried to possess him for a moment. Nevertheless, the show went on. And Miss Dazim, I mean Menzel, performed Let It Go. You might even say that she sung like a bird. Maybe like a dick sisle. But she wouldn't let the situation go that easy. In an interview with Andy Cohen a few years ago, Adele, I mean Edina, took it all in stride. You heard him say it, and then how did you get yourself together?
4: This is what I did, I thought I'm gonna sing the song to my son and not worry about Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep and don't forget to breathe, and then he introduced me, and then for eight seconds, (laughs) I felt very sorry for myself, and then then I said get my I can't curse, right? No. Yes. Yeah, sure. Get my sh- together. Yeah. This yeah. is your chance. Who cares, you know, and, and sing the damn song, and then I, I focus. But it did bother me for like eight seconds. It just threw me a little.
0: And just like La La Land, the book was closed on this moment, eventually.
4: Please welcome to the stage my very dear friend, Glom Gazingo.
2: I deserve that. But you, you, my darling, <laughs> my beautiful, my wickedly talented Adina Menzel.
4: You got guys-
0: Some moments in Oscar history have gone down as mind-boggling ones that people still talk about to this day, while other moments of equal value get swept under the rug of history in the hopes that people will never speak of those moments again. With that said, in spite of how relatively tame this next moment was, forgive me if it turned out to be somewhat forgotten over the years. 2003's Oscars were already marinated with tension in the air from outside factors. Namely, the second war in Iraq that began just a few days earlier. A tension that was already heightened thanks to a moment that took place earlier. We live in
2: a time where we have a man
0: sending us to war. But since we already stated no politics, let's talk about the second most cringe-worthy moment from that year's telecast.
3: This is the greatest pianist in Poland. Maybe the whole world.
4: No one plays
3: so fun like you. Well, but it's a compliment.
0: A lot of buzz was surrounding a movie called The Pianist, the true story of Ladasaw Spillman, a piano player who manages to survive the horrors of Nazi-invaded Poland at the dawn of World War II. Cast in the role of Spillman was a then 29-year-old up-and-coming actor named Adrian Brody, who already made a name for himself in movies like The Thin Red Line and Summer of Sam. Critics raved over the performance that he gave in this movie.
1: If you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh?
0: If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? And sure enough, he would rightly receive his dues.
4: If you're known by the company you keep, tonight's recipient of the Oscar for Best Performance by an Actor will be known as a major, major player.
0: A year earlier, Halle Berry won her Oscar for her performance in Monster's Ball. And as is custom, last year's Best Actress presents the award to the following year's Best Actor. And when one wins an award of that caliber, it's only fair that one feels a wide variety of emotions once they find out that they've won. Excitement, joy, happiness, nervousness, even thrilled. Not to sound like a prude, but... Horny should not be one of those emotions.
1: Adrian Brody.
4: Can I ask you a little bit about Oscar night? Have you seen Halle Berry recently? No. What is a memory of
3: that? That sure was the probably the one of the most memorable moments if ever. You could say time slowed down. That was that moment where I really, really felt it slowed down. In mm-hmm. fact, it must have because by the time I got finished kissing her and people kind of settled in they were already flashing the sign to say get off the stage at is up
0: and yes this was 2003 many years removed from when things like me too and time's up we their accusatory heads but at the same time being seen sticking your tongue down a golden goddess's throat by an audience of one billion people is just creepy no matter how much face you save in your oscar speech by thanking your mom and supporting
3: the troops That day, I remember becoming, because we had invaded uh, Iraq Mm -hmm. less than, I believe, 48 hours before. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. uh, considering I would be potentially honored for my portrayal of a man surviving war and the repercussions of war, Mm -hmm. it would feel inappropriate not to reference what's Mm -hmm. really going on, not to make it a statement about but to reference that.
0: Once again, we turn to Andy Cohen for a years later Aftermath interview with Miss Barry.
1: Can, can I say it for real? Yeah. I was like, what the f*** is
4: happening? <laughs> <laughs> right now. <laughs> that is what was going through my mind.
1: And, and because awesome. I, I was there the year before and I know the feeling of being out of your body, I just f*** went with it.
0: (laughs) Which brings us to the third cringeworthy thing that happened in the 2003 ceremony, and perhaps the reason why I'm putting this combined entry at number five when the Adrian Brody kiss by itself should have ranked maybe in the honorable mentions. Fifteen minutes later, these words were said out loud by Indiana Jones.
4: The Oscar goes to Roman Polanski. The so
0: many cans of worms that could run a bait-and-tackle shop could be opened to discuss why Rowan Polanski's win for Best Director followed immediately by a standing ovation for the bastard sends the coldest of chills down my spine. I don't care how big a genius he was cinematically or how good The Pianist was. The guy is still a creep, he belongs down here, and that's all I'm going to say about it. On that note, we've reached the halfway point on our quest to throw some tarnish onto Hollywood's favorite golden idol to worship.
2: Kneel before your god, Babylon!
0: I know, that was a clip from the Emmys, but the reference still applies. Our star fuckery will continue... After the break...
1: love to be an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I truly like to be. Cause if I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, everyone would be in
4: love with me. A big parade is so inspiring.
1: Oh, I'm glad I'm not an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I never want to be. Cause if I were an There'll be nothing
4: left of me. Oh, I love to be... Oscar Meyer my wieners dinner. are all meat. All good meat. Rich and complete meat protein. Mildly seasoned to bring out all the good meat flavor.
1: Everyone would be in love with me. Next week, you handle just the refreshments, Freddy.
4: This week on Telehealth's premium content of the damned. One of the earlier ones was a... was something called Winnie's theme, which was... So it was a little more melodic it was a little more melodic in the approach and a little more folks folksy the only way to listen to Telehel's premium content of the damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast for just a few bucks a month You can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash telehellpodcast. And now, back to this week's torture.
0: Hollywood would be nothing without tales of various power couples, as well as their rises and falls. You've got your Liz and Dick's, your Bert and Lonnie's, and even to a lesser extent, your Tom and Roseanne's. But in this century, no showbiz coupling, decoupling, and possibly recoupling earned as much tabloid ink as
4: these poor souls. You think this story's gonna have
3: a happy ending?
4: Happy endings are just stories that haven't finished yet.
3: Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie were one of our favorite celebrity couples. Still no word on when actress Angelina Jolie will deliver her twins, but the impending births and her early admittance to a French hospital are an international media sensation.
0: Well, there are reports today that Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie bought a man-made island off the coast of Dubai. It's shaped like... So you
3: were in an I Hate Rachel club? Yes, she was.
0: No, no. <laughs> The Hollywood rumor machine of the early 21st century would have rusted completely were it not for Jen, Brad, and Angie. And while time has since healed most of the wounds, up to and including Jen and Brad being on somewhat positive terms with each other these days, the very peak of the love triangle wasn't when Brad left Jen for Angie on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith and spawn a gaggle of kids afterwards, but rather a moment when in 2009, the once and future Rachel Green would present an Oscar, with Brangelina sitting right there in the front row. This begs the question Did the Academy mean for this to happen in the hopes of earning a rating spike over a potential catfight between the two actresses while the henpecked male was forced to watch? Or was it just a mere coincidence that things turned out this way? Regardless of how this happened, some producers of the show didn't want things to become too ugly if it came to that. So, as a buffering zone, one half of the rock group Tenacious D, aka Jack Black, was co-presenting with Aniston as an insurance policy slash comic relief.
3: It's not that bad, actually. I make more money doing animation than live action.
1: Really? I didn't make that much money when I did the Iron Giant. Do you have some, like, special animated career strategy?
3: Oh, yeah. Each year I do one DreamWorks project, then I take all the money to the Oscars and bet it on Pixar. He
0: only barely helped the situation.
3: Not done. We are not finished. I thought we were done.
1: Now we are going to present the award for best animated short film, which a lot of people mistakenly think is easier to win than the regular one.
3: But that is not true, because the shorter your movie, the less time your panda has to work its way into America's heart.
1: Did you, did you watch anything this year that you were not in?
3: No. But in my defense, neither did a lot of people.
1: Ah. Yeah. Well played, Mr. Black, well played. Thank you. Uh, the nominees for animated short film are?
0: Once the deed was done, all parties involved could breathe a sigh of relief knowing that it will probably never be that awkward again. The fact that Jen and Brad have been seen together publicly in a handful of sporadic appearances long since then is more than enough proof that, as time marches on, the flowers will bloom, the dick-sizzles will chirp, and that water can flow under the bridge in even the most toxic of circumstances.
4: Hi, Brad. You know how cute I always thought you were. It's the flirty reunion between exes Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt. And fans can't get enough. Brad and Jen really really seem to be enjoying it. it. I think you're so
1: sexy. Will you come to me?
4: Just look at Brad's face light up.
0: (laughs) Number three. I can't speak from personal experience because let's face it, I've never been one, but it's probably safe to say that to be the host of a major event like the Oscars is probably one of the most difficult events to host. Not only are you dealing with a potentially large audience, but because of how large that audience can be some years, you gotta keep all the action moving by being broad with the material and otherwise be a personality that everybody in the world can agree on. Why else would you think they let Billy Crystal host nine times? Nine times? Nine times. Or Bob Hope, a record 19 times. Or even whoever the most popular talk show host of the era was host multiple times in their respective heydays. Because people like Johnny Carson, Jimmy Kimmel, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Steve Martin, Ellen DeGeneres, and a slew of other hosts for better or worse, appeal to that same broad-ranging audience that they already have with the shows they hosted outside the Oscars. That, and to quote the words of a man who's lived a thousand years, Clever things make people feel stupid, and unexpected things make them feel scared! So, whenever it's announced that somebody who's never hosted the Oscars before is about to do so for the first time, Especially with someone of zero Master of Ceremony experience whatsoever, the audience is still willing to give them a chance to impress and also the benefit of the doubt. Many people gave it a shot, many people never made a second appearance, and life moved on with a tried and true. And I'd like to believe that these two poor souls are the reason why the tried and true remain what the producers of the Oscar cast keep trying to strive for.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, your hosts
0: for the evening, James Franco and Anne Hathaway. When it was announced in 2011 that the Oscars would be hosted by future Oscar winner Anne Hathaway and future persona non grata James Franco, more than a couple flags were raised. Though in defense of one of those hosts, the flags were more raised for the other person. Hathaway may have appeared nervous in the monologue portion of the show, but at least she eventually carried things off far more professionally than Franco would over the next three and a half
3: hours. Anne, I must say, you look so beautiful and so hip.
0: Oh, thank you, James. Yeah. You look very appealing to a younger demographic thank as well. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much. <laughs> very exciting for both of us because we're both nominated.
2: Uh, actually, James, I'm not nominated tonight.
0: Oh, come
3: on, Anne. Don't be so modest.
0: <clears throat> no, I'm not modest. I'm just not nominated. You know, All right. it used to be... You get
4: naked, you get nominated.
0: (laughs) Nevertheless, these were two people who the target demographic may have fawned over. But then again, they had no experience in host and presentational skills, and the show pretty much got hobbled in real time because of their efforts. So much so that during the middle of the show that both of them were hosting, maybe one of the most pointless things that an Oscar cast could do was being done.
2: Here's a very special surprise.
0: One of the greatest Oscar hosts of all time, someone I have even more respect for right about now, Billy Crystal. Yes. They actually had Billy Crystal make an appearance as a guest presenter only to introduce a segment about another all-time great Oscar host in the form of Bob Hope, when either one of those two would have been perfectly capable hosts of that year's show, and Hope had been dead for eight years by that point.
2: Some things never change. The producers have asked me to tell you that we're running a little long. (laughs) So here are the nominees for Best Picture. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are once again, welcome to the Academy Awards. Or, as it's as
0: known at my house, Passover. Hathaway and Franco were not comedians like Hope, Crystal, Whoopi, Rock, or Steve. Nor were they daily hosts of TV shows like Carson, Kimmel, Stewart, or DeGeneres. They were first and foremost actors, people who are paid to stick to a script, and keep the looseness to a minimum. Again, Hathaway was the lesser of two evils here, but both of them were severely out of their elements, as she herself will explain to, once again, Andy Cohen. <laughs> uh, here you are hosting the Oscars in 2011 with mm. James Franco.
3: We sucked. We sucked!
0: <laughs> no matter how apologetic she gets, though, it still doesn't change the fact that they were both out of their elements. Or in Franco's case,
3: out of the earth's orbit altogether. All right, congratulations nerds. <laughs> and now, an extraordinary actress who I'm fairly certain is the only woman to ever successfully play Queen Elizabeth I, Catherine Hepburn and Bob Dylan.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, the Oscar-winning and always stunning Kate Blanchett. It's
0: like that old song says, a hooray for Hollywood. Number 2. I make absolutely no pretenses about this next subject simply because you can't talk about one thing without inevitably talking about another thing first. Full disclosure, I was 12 years old when Titanic was first released in 1997. I was sort of at that age where Puberty didn't quite hit me yet, and I was also at the tail end of the boys rule girls drool phase of my life. I didn't quite notice the fairer sex or any of their interests as of yet, and I certainly didn't understand why girls my age were fawning over Leonardo DiCaprio. Back then, I only knew him as the kid who showed up randomly on the final season of Growing Pains, and also that fever dream disguised as an adaptation of Romeo Plus Sign Juliet. So, suffice to say, even when Titanic wound up becoming the pop-cultural juggernaut of the following year, all I could think of was... Eh. In short, I didn't get it. It actually took me a good three years or so after the movie was released to finally see it on TV. And before you ask, when I was alive, I lived in a small town with a small multiplex that constantly sold out the movie, as well as a blockbuster video that constantly sold out rentals of the movie. Waiting three years to see it on TV is not that far-fetched when you live in the middle of nowhere. Once I did see it on TV, my immediate reaction was... Really? This won all those Oscars? Let's face it, if La La Land won Best Picture for more than 90 seconds, Titanic would become the second most overrated movie of the past 30 years. That's how little I cared about the movie, the phenomenon, the merchandising, the overall whoring out slash exploitation of a disaster, and anything else connected to it, up to and including the 11 Oscars it won that year, including Best Picture and Best Director. Which brings me to... The Oscar goes to James Cameron for Titanic. Depending on who you ask, James Cameron certainly deserves to be listed among his fellow directors as one of the all-time greats, and we should also give him all the credit in the world for coming up with innovative special effects for each of his movies. But as soon as he won his first Oscar that evening for Best Director, any chance for him to go down in history as a humble director sunk faster than a ship to an iceberg. Mom, Dad,
3: there's no way that I can express to you what I'm feeling right now. My heart is full to bursting, except to say, I'm the king of the world!
0: And given the benefit of the doubt, this was his first major Oscar win. And as we just learned with Adrian Brody, a lot of people who win an Oscar for the first time doesn't really know how to handle it. So perhaps he was just going on instinct. A rather poor one, but it was still more eyebrow-raising than problematic. Problematic, on the other hand, would come just a few minutes later when Titanic would win for best picture, and Cameron
3: had more to say. So, I'd just like everybody to go with me just for a second on, on something here. I'd like to, I'd like to do a few seconds of silence in remembrance of the 1,500 men, women, and children who died when the great ship died. And uh, the the message of Titanic, of course, is that. If the great ship can sink, the, un- the unthinkable can happen, the future's unknowable. The only thing that we truly own is today. Life is precious, so during these few seconds, I'd like you to also listen to the beating of your own heart, which is the most precious thing in the world. Join me, please, in a few seconds of silence for Titanic. And while
0: the sentiment there was well-intentioned, it was what he said afterward that not only negated it, But also made the Academy wonder if they made a huge mistake.
3: Thank you very much. That's about as much as I'm sure Gil Cates can stand. All right, you've really made this a night to remember in every way. Now let's go party till dawn. To go from
0: being king of the world to a moment of silence for an actual tragedy to partying till dawn is possibly one of the all-time greatest mood swings ever witnessed on television. And it would probably explain why it took Cameron another 12 years until he could release his next movie, another 12 years until the sequel to that movie comes next, and possibly 12 more for the next sequel to come out. Yeah, I know, I keep seeing trailers for Avatar 3, but I wouldn't go holding my breath just yet. As I said at the top of the episode, and as I also say from time to time, good, bad, and dumb doesn't necessarily have to be synonymous with each other all the time. Something can be dumb and people can get a good laugh out of it. Or something can be dumb because you can't believe that that particular something is happening in the first place. In the case of this moment, it sort of leads to the fun kind of dumb. Yes, the moment turned out to be a big laugh when it happened. But as the years have gone by, you have to ask yourself two questions. Number one, what was this guy thinking? And number two, why the here was the thing that he did ever popular in the first place? The
4: year is 1974.
0: The war in Vietnam was reaching its downfall as was Richard Nixon's presidency. The combination of both prompted the country to seriously consider a way to lighten up a little. For some reason, running around naked at public events for no reason was the best idea they could come up with. Streaking was practically done everywhere. Parties, parks, baseball games, football games, well, all sporting events. It probably wouldn't surprise me if anybody tried to streak at a wedding, funeral, or bar mitzvah next. The whole point of streaking, apparently, was that the more public a venue where it was happening, the bigger the thrill was for both the streaker and the audience who viewed it. Which brings us to that year's Oscar ceremony, co-hosted by one of the great fancy lads of our time, David Niven Jr. He's on hand to introduce the final presenter of the evening, and he begins with a standard flowery English introduction.
3: If one reads the newspapers or listens to the news, It is quite obvious that the whole world is having a nervous breakdown. In the motion picture industry, we do not, thank God, contribute to the shambles by manufacturing tanks, flamethrowers... And
0: and just as the wind-up is made, a long-haired man wearing a mustache, a peace sign, and nothing else gives people a reason to tune into the Oscars for the next decade, wondering if anybody would be willing to try this stunt again.
3: And someone, quite likely...
0: The man who did the deed was a photographer and LGBTQ activist named Robert Opel. How he wound up on the Oscars stage that year remains something of a mystery. Some people believe that he snuck onto the stage. Others believe that he was a secret stunt being perpetrated by the show's producers. Regardless of what happened, Opal was never charged with the act, which, for the sake of television censorship, was only seen from the waist up. While the incident itself wound up gaining a combination of popularity and notoriety for Opal, the perks would, unfortunately, be short-lived. In July of 1979, Robert Opal was murdered in San Francisco during an apparent robbery. His nephew and namesake, Robert, is now the caretaker to the elder Robert's legacy. Not just by showcasing his photography work, but also as the producer of a documentary called Uncle Bob, which chronicles his life and unfortunate death.
2: Can I speak for you? I'll speak for you. Well, it's uh, it's one of those one-time things. He
0: was somebody who could live a life of art and sex. And that's is, this is a fairly radical
3: idea that uh, one's sexual identity doesn't have to be so fixed. I, don't know, I feel that I can say anything or do doing, I don't feel restricted. You know, somebody in my family was murdered, and the reason why, I, I don't know. It seems like every door that opens that could lead to an answer to some form of truth with it just gets slammed shut on me.
0: As short as his life was, that one fleeting moment left one here of a legacy as well as a one-liner for the ages from David Niven Jr.
3: Probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings.
0: And by the way, for those keeping track, Opal's death happened after the streaking, so that's why we're talking about it here. So, no rules being broken. Barring unforeseen circumstances, I... I think I've had enough Oscar moments to last me several eternities. Maybe next year we can talk about a TV adaptation of a movie instead. Because all this star fuckery is giving me a rash in the swimsuit area. Which spares me the chance to say that it's a real pain in the dick-sissle. In the meantime, what the?
1: Stand by for emergency transport to my office.
0: Oh shit, what do they want now? Oh, not the tube again!
1: Ah, good. Glad you made it.
0: <sighs> like I had any choice. What's the emergency?
1: I need you to do something for me. Sort of a public relations activity. It'll tie in with all the TV bashing you've been doing. Such as? We have a bit of an image problem I'd like you to handle. I've been doing a little bit of scanning through the history books, and, well, much to my surprise, I'm finding a couple of entries that depict us in, well, not so much in a negative light, but rather a laughable way. I mean, we're supposed to be a place that invokes thoughts of fear, famine, pestilence, death and, well, all things that are just unpleasant in general. Recently though, I came across a couple of things from the past that, well, flat out make a joke of the underworld.
0: A joke how?
1: Think of it this way. Try to imagine the most horrifying images of war atrocities, serial killers and human misery ever known to mankind. Now. Picture those same images being set to the worst possible song to try and fit the mood.
0: Ugh. You mean like the bombing of Hiroshima set to the tune of Sunshine Day by the Brady Bunch kids?
1: Exactly. And with that, here's what I want you to do. Go into Hell's Archives, pick out your combination of any three TV shows, TV movies, TV moments in general, that essentially make fun of the underworld. Review them like you normally would, but more importantly, really lean into how much they get wrong about this place. That we are not a joke, that we're meant to be taken seriously, and that people should cower in fear and horror over the mere thought of us and me existing.
0: And what's in it for me if I do this? (laughs) What's in it for you?
1: What's in it for you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. How about still being able to exist? Shit. It is all a same with you people, isn't it? You do a job and you give us a snack in return. Do I look like Shaggy from the Scooby Gang? Don't answer that. Do your job and you don't get your soul turned to dust. That is what's in it for you. Oh, and... One other thing, taking a look at the charts, and it seems as though this assignment is going to run straight on through to your 100th subject. And not to put any further pressure on you, but I hope you have something significant planned for that occasion too.
0: Well, you just said that you wanted me to cover three subjects that mock us, so that doesn't really give me a lot of wiggle room
1: here. I'm not talking just about the subject you pick for that one, I mean add a little pizzazz to the show. Don't just have it be about you taking down a TV show. Throw in something with a little oomph. Oomph? Oomph. Yeah, you know, something that'll grab a lot of earballs. Something that'll get people's attention. Something that'll bring the ratings of this snooze fest above the flatliner level. For once.
0: Yeah, that's gonna be a little hard to do with just a month's preparation, and God, ah, geez,
1: that's hot. Do something big for your 100th show, where you're gonna become leftover Salisbury steak at an underfunded inner-city school in East Orange, New Jersey. But again, no pressure. And you still have two more shows until you get there.
0: Anything else? Just one
1: thing. Apparently, you struck quite the chord with the crowd doing three shows in a row, three days in a row, back in January. I hope you don't mind doing that again for March.
0: (sighs) sure let's go for a second brain hemorrhage. It's not like my living condition's gonna be changing for the better or anything, right? Is that a yes? I'd say it's less of a yes and more of a I have no choice, do I, kind of thing.
1: Good. So that's three shows that mock the Underworld. One of those shows is episode 100, and I want something big to happen on that one, you comprende? De nada. Gracias. Speaking to Spanish, I gotta hit the surface now for the annual negotiation with Mexico's water supply. Don't ask, they know why. I'd say knock them dead, but, well, that'd be a little redundant. So I'll say break a leg, because that's always fun. Later, fuckface.
0: I'm really starting not to like this guy. Coming in March on Telehell. As cliche as the old saying goes, we must give the devil its due. And this coming March, we review three programs with an underworldly common bond. All three of which will be dropping on March 24th, 26th, and 28th. After what we went through in January, we kinda need to pace it out a little this time. And the first one we're gonna look at features a guy that I can actually kinda sorta identify with.
3: And I know that if you give me a chance, sir, I can deliver his soul. The fiery underworld was never cooler than when Rat Packer Sammy Davis Jr. went straight to Hell as one of Satan's minions in Poor Devil. Until then...
0: If it's not in tele it's not worth a damn. The part of the boss was played by Darren Marlar, whose show Weird Darkness can be heard everywhere you stream podcasts or at weirddarkness.com. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. You know that thing that people do in order to communicate with each other without actually having to look each other face to face? You know, social media? Well, we do that. Look for us on X, Facebook, and now Blue Sky, all three of them at Telehell Podcast. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and pretty much tell us what you think of our show everywhere that you can stream us. And also in our complaint line, telehelpodcast at gmail.com.